Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that thinks Liverpool should have sold Mo Salah, because if the Cortinio money is anything to go by, they could have spent that windfall over the next thousand years. On today's part, we're looking at Ballon d'Or nominations, club spending, the forthcoming Euro qualifiers and City four games in. In short, there's something for everyone. Let's crack on then by introducing our guests today, lovely fellas both. It's George and Darren. Hi George, you there? Sure, I'm Steve. Good morning. Good morning to you, sir. How's things? Yeah, not so bad, not so bad. It's a bit of a, always a bit of a flat one after four weeks of the Premier League and international yes. break when you've just got that taste back for back for the Premier League. But, you know, it's all good nonetheless. Yeah, it's almost cruel, isn't it? It's like, yes, we're back, everything's great. Oh no, and now we're going to go to kind of, I don't know, Kazakhstan, the Finland, and it's, it's just, yeah, not the same. Exactly, exactly. And watching Southgate bring Foden on for the last third. <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. Uh, Darren, are you there? Are you well? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, just uh, top of the league, can't complain, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> is this your first time on? My first time on, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great to have you on, mate. Um, Lovely to have you on. Let's start with um, the Ballon d'Or nominations, the the shortlist, I should say, that was kind of revealed this week, of which, from the 30, seven are City players. Now, I'm older than you guys. This was, you know, just not... I, I can't even imagine this back in the day. Seven of the 30 Ballon d'Or, more player of the year, essentially, our City players, uh, Gavardiol, Bernardo, Diaz, KDB, Haaland, Alvarez, Rodri. I'll start with you, George. Did any of those, like in all honesty, just speaking between friends, did any of those surprise you? Like you said, Steve, seven City players nominated for the Ballon d'Or is a proper one of those moments where you, you just scratch your head and wonder, <clears throat> excuse me, you wonder how we've got to this point, really. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would have would have loved one player, and uh, but even even at a younger age, I knew that, that was just uh, laughable and was never going to happen. But you know, times change for the better, and, and here we are. Um, in terms of surprises, I I would say Gvardiol and Alvarez, and that's not because I think don't think they're good players. I think they're mm. both very good players. I'm I'm probably you know one of Alvarez's uh, bigger fans, and uh, you know Gvardiol looks like a great young player. But I think those two, in terms of Ballon d'Or, were they in the in the top group of players in the world? I'm not too sure. I think I think what this shows is the how um, much the World Cup and your performance there yes. impacts the Ballon d'Or, and I think you can see that throughout the whole shortlist. Really, some players who had fantastic World Cups, but then the rest of their campaigns were were nothing really to shout about, or or just pretty standard. But yeah, the World Cup definitely has a major impact in the Ballon d'Or uh, shortlist. Um, Daz, this is your debut. You're a couple of minutes yeah. in, and I'm about to chuck you a massive question. <laughs> I am so sorry for this, but it's something that me and George discussed in, in the live show, actually, and and um, yeah. it, it really split the room. So, good luck, mate. Um, I would say from those seven that the, the two obvious favourites, as far as City are concerned, are Haaland and Rodri. Um, 100%. who deserves it the most out of the two? Do you think? Wow. <laughs> I mean if we're going off honours I think Rodri's done it all mm. including the Spain and the man of the match um, performances he's had Yeah, but just going purely off the fact that he's came on his first season and he's basically one of the treble I'd have to give it Haaland personally in my opinion because the impact he's made 
I don't, I can't name a player that's done that. Mm. To win a treble, knowing that we're already one, two in a row and we did the free peak, players like that just don't come often. And for me, that's why I think Harlem deserves it overall. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm personally just glad we're, we're kind of finally seeing the back end of the Messi Ronaldo duopoly. It was just got so boring in terms of the Ballon d'Or, at least. Um, George, could you see Messi? I mean, he's been sensational in America, but it's hardly the, the, the hardest competition out there. Is 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 Messi got a chance of winning it one last time? Oh yeah, I think he's got a very big chance. I would I would probably say I, he's the one I think is going to win it. Not necessarily that I think he deserves it, but I think, like I said earlier, the World Cup does does have such an impact, and also his legacy in the people, in the voters, and and giving him this kind of like one last major, yeah. major accomplishment before, you know, he really is in the in the tail end of his career in the MLS, I think it is a major possibility. I think Haaland obviously deserves it because those goals, that, that that's not normal. It's not normal in any <laughs> league, let alone the Premier League. And the fact he's, he's won the treble and and been such a major player and, and slotted into a new league straight away, I think it should be Haaland. But... Yeah, I, I, if I was if I were to put money on it, I'd be putting uh, the money um, on Messi to win. I think, yeah, I, I agree. I think it will be Messi, and it will be the sentimental vote as well as much as anything. Um, and going back to the original question as well, I, I I agree, George. I think Gavardio and Alvarez were the two names where, when I saw them, you know, in that heightened company, you know, of kind of Ballon d'Or shortlist, I did think, oh, okay, but then. I recall the World Cup and the impact they both had, particularly the latter. So, yeah, let's, well, good luck to all the City players. It would be incredible to have a Ballon d'Or winner. I'd, 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 one, one other thing as well, just going on this Haaland kind of Rodri thing, I personally think Rodri deserves it more because I think he has just had as perfect a year as a footballer could have. And I know people could say the same about Haaland and his goals, but Rodri you know, for what it's worn and, as you said, George, for Spain as well and all the rest of it. I think, Rodri, my worry is that Haaland might be taken for granted even in footballing circles and would then, if he doesn't win it this year, might never win it. And if Haaland doesn't win a Ballon d'Or in his career, something is very, very wrong. So from that angle, I would like to see him get it this year. So it's done. He's got one. If he gets another, great. Um, But personally, I think Rodri... Of all the City players, deserves it the most. But let us know on Twitter if you disagree. Um, okay, let's change tack to something else that kind of came out this week. Um, really interesting. The CIES Football Laboratory study that revealed that United, Manchester United, have a loss of over a billion pounds since 2014. Right, I'm just going to quickly bring this up here now and we'll go through this. First of all, um, Daz, what did you make of it? Just when you saw it and you saw the clubs on the list, did any clubs surprise you? Quite a lot, really, when you look at it. Yeah. You see West Ham, Forest, Palace, Bournemouth, and I was like, <laughs> hang on a minute, where have these lot come from? Everton's yeah. another one that I mean, you, you realise how much they spend overall. Aston Villa, 414. That is, is that a reflection on the Premier League then more than these clubs? I mean, it just shows the disparity between how much money the Premier League's got to spend compared to, you know, in Spain and Italy. It just shows the power of the Premier League. It shows how much coverage it gets. And mm. obviously the other leagues do complain, but you can't blame us, can you? Because no, no. It, it's the most watchable league in the world. I mean, it's for me, yeah, 
it's just surprising that I'm not surprised that the majority are the Premier League teams as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you when, when I saw even acknowledging the disparity in spending between the Premier League and the rest. For me, when you see Bournemouth, it's like whoa, it's nearly three hundred million pounds and and Everton there. And um, just before we kind of dig down into the clubs involved though, and and the amount that they've spent, <coughs> United and um, George, I just want to ask. So net spend is ridiculed in some quarters to the extent where people who quote net spend are called net spend wankers on on Twitter. <laughs> but surely it's it's the fairest way of gauging it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's become every year it's it's the probably the most popular tool to show how well, you know, quote unquote well run a club is. Yeah. And um it's no surprise you know, that the top three for the highest net spend to me is United, Chelsea and PSG over the period of 2014 to 2023 because those are three very poorly run clubs. Mm, and, yeah. And it's no surprise. I mean, United at over, over a bill is, um, is, is crazy. <laughs> but um, I think if, if, if you look at City, they've obviously taken the club as a whole there's people inside that club who are taking the net spend figure seriously. You can tell that by the academy sales, the way we're moving in the transfer market. Pep's even made like alluded to it in a couple of press conferences, and um, so have the directors in some of their interviews. So it's obviously something that the club have focused on, especially in the last few years. And I think they're very proud of how we've changed our figure because although we are fifth in that table um, uh, with seven hundred thirty-three point eight mil. Um, as, as I said earlier, it's over the years 2014 to 2023. I would imagine that the large chunk of that money for us is between the years 2014 and 2018. Yeah. And I think since probably the, since probably 2018, the club have been on a mission to, um, bring down our net spend and, uh, become a club that makes profit by selling players as well. I've got to say the annoying one is how lowly ranked. Um, Liverpool are. I have to admit that, but I can just say that on a city pod. Obviously, I would never admit that on Twitter. Yeah, I, I suppose that, I suppose Liverpool being lower on the table is annoying, but also they've had to sell their best players consistently for mm. a while, and that does help you. Clubs that can sell for high fees um, brings their net spend down, and I think the reason Liverpool are, they've spent a lot of money just because their best players, once they hit a certain point, you know, Coutinho, Suarez, all these people, they they, they want to move on to um to abroad, to, to a big, the big foreign clubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the big, bigger clubs. No, no, that's true. And um, yeah, absolutely. And we've seen that in evidence. And we nearly saw it in evidence yesterday as well with Mo Salah. Um, Daz, this sounds like, you know, I'm just setting us up to have a good laugh at United, but there's, there's genuinely a question in here for you. Over a billion pounds net loss over nine years for United, and they have a team and a squad that they've got. How on earth is that possible? You know, in my opinion, I blame Sir Alex Ferguson for this. Mm. I think the the squad he left, it was in a bad direction. Yeah. The players that were left were in a bad direction. There was no youth players coming in. He sacrificed United's basically next 10 years to get that last trophy by getting RVP, which basically won them the league. I believe if he came to City, we would have won the league. Um, after that, there was no structure at the club anymore. They were just buying players that were just names like Schweinsteiger, which made no sense for me. 
Um, they were getting Falcao, Di Maria, as you can see, didn't work. Players like Sanchez, Lukaku. When the main thing they couldn't get was a proper manager. And even then, when they tried to get a proper manager, chemistry of players didn't work. And you can just see it was just adding up, adding up. And because they're a massive club, no one actually sees how much they spend. Mm-hmm. And for me, over the past 10 years, they've been a total favourite of a club. I completely agree, completely agree. And we just went down that kind of Galactico route, didn't they? And yet we didn't fully commit to it. So it was kind of like, what a year. And it was always a player who they didn't especially need, but they had one eye on the brand and kind of what, you know, the pulling power this player had and all of it. Instead of just, you know, ultimately, at its very basic core, football's very straightforward and simple game. You know, you just bring in a really good manager, let him manage, let him bring in players that he wants to, to, build a, a decent team and they just didn't even they just strayed from those basic tenets um a, a very costly amount as well um george i'm really not the kind of person who is overly interested in the financial side of football um and when i see people kind of you know point scoring on twitter saying your club spent this and stuff it, it tends to bore me quite quickly i will say though from looking at this list Arsenal have a bigger net loss than City over the last decade. And yet Arsenal are the ones who repeatedly look down their noses at us as if we're the ones who are like the Novo Reach, just you know, buying everyone and all the rest of it. That pisses me off. Um, it's not fair though, is it? No, not in the slightest. Um, it, they're a club who always um, say that they're, you know, that they're, they're classy and they like say mm. they do things the right way and all this kind of stuff. But you can't buy players with class. You have to buy players with cash, and they've <laughs> obviously not been afraid to do that, especially um, in the Edu Arteta era. They've spent big, big money, and. They get away with it for a, a number of reasons, uh, really, because they're seen as you know like a historic heritage club, uh, because they were success. They were one of the teams that was successful, um, you know, when the Premier League came into being and mm. um, football on TV became popular, you know, in the early nineties through to now. So they kind of think they have a, a divine right to to do things because they're a big club. Um, in terms of them looking down the noses at City, you know, it's, I just find it laughable when this and because they're always going on about our money comes from the Middle East, and for some reason that's a bad thing when the stadium's called the Emirates, and their shirt sponsor's been the Emirates for over a decade. So w- where do they think a lot of their money's coming from? It's just, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty hilarious. And, and then when you look at how they've spent the money as well, um, the likes of Pepe. And stuff, you know, seventy-five mil. Nobody, nobody mentions that. The, the guy's not even in the squad at all, and he's he's looking for a move to Turkey, I believe, right now. And you know, if that was a if that was at City, um, then if we had a seventy-five million pound player who'd 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 flopped that badly, it would be mentioned every single day. But mm. for some reason, yeah, they just seem to get away with things like that. It's uh, it's quite funny, really. Well, let's. Kind of bring you in on that, Daz, because City basically all, all I can think of off the top of my head is Calvin Phillips as the only kind of player who is, you know, flopped, if you like, or disappointed for a significant amount of money. Uh, rival fans will say that, you know, that they, they love this untruth, don't they? That, you know, oh, City spends, you know, 60, 70 million on defender, and when that doesn't work, they just go out and get another defender. And um, 
but basically it's Calvin Phillips gets we get loads of flack for that we get loads of flack for our supposed you know overspend on defenders Pepe you know as George said there never mentions United my god with Sancho and kind of you know Anthony flopping we're talking about hundreds of millions of pounds on wingers who disappoint and again it's the player who gets a flack the club seems to get off scot-free why is that because I don't want to I don't want to buy into any agenda, but it's hard not to at times. I think mainly it's because we broke into the top four and we basically destroyed that traditional top four. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of a lot of fans hate that. And I think what doesn't help? We're winning trophies. Now, when you look at the actual 20 clubs that are spent, half of them have not won trophies, so they don't <laughs> yeah. get the slack. And that's the key thing. And that's what people don't understand. And that's why rival fans hate us a lot, which I can completely understand. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another way of looking. At it, actually, yeah, I, I kind of I'm inclined to agree. I can understand it at times. Um, I would hate City, but yeah, just purely from you know a sheer amount of silverware. Um, yeah, the thing what just before we move on, the thing what really jumped out at me looking at this list is, and and, and I stick by what I said earlier. Net spend is, I think, the truest and fairest kind of gauge, the, the fairest metric. But still, Everton. <laughs> I've spent what is it? Four, I've got forty million pound worse off in their net loss than Bayern Munich. That's weird. That's just Everton have spent more than Bayern Munich. Essentially, that is just odd indeed. Um, okay, let's move on to Ukraine England on Saturday night. Uh, George, no Raheem Sterling in the squad. Um, by all accounts, he's very unhappy about it. Is that it now for Raheem in England? Do you think? I think we are at a crossroads and um it's going to it's going to take Sterling probably in the future maybe swallowing his pride and accepting the invite if he if he does get one in the future because understandably at the moment he he seems to be very very angry and and rightly so really because um we we were told you know it was Southgate at the start he said he, he picked players on on form and and if they were playing regularly for the clubs, that was why sometimes he didn't pick the likes of Foden when he should have, and, and a few other players. And then as he's got into his tenure, he says, "Oh well, you know, when Maguire wasn't being played, I have to pick players, you know, who play well for England. I don't want to upset the squad just bringing people who've been in purple patches here, there, and everywhere." And and then he goes and drops Sterling, who wasn't doing so well at Chelsea. But he's still playing, and now he's playing for Chelsea. You know, he's probably one of their best players, scoring goals, and he's not in the squad. And yet, we we see the likes of Maguire and Calvin Phillips in the squad. And Raheem must look at that and going, "Well, something doesn't add up here." And and I think he's got every right to be pretty fuming. And I hope one day we do see him back in an England shirt because I do love Raheem, what he did for City and what he's done for England across the last few tournaments. He's been always one of our best players. But you know, it, it, I also would would see if he if he just called it a day as as long as Southgate's mm. in charge after being kind of snubbed in this way. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, you mentioned him, Maguire. That brings up a, a kind of interesting point. Um, Daz, when you look at Harry Maguire, he's made six league starts in the last calendar year. Um, he, he, you know, he tends to disappoint at United, and it's certainly true to say that he's on the periphery there at Old Trafford. Um, much maligned figure, of course, but he very rarely lets England down. He has made the odds rickier too, but you know, he rarely has let Southgate down, and he's a leader at the back for England. And England's defensive record, 
they're now reclaiming their habit of, of picking up clean sheets again. And, you know, Maguire and Stones is looking highly promising once more. Where where should Southgate fall on that then? Because I get that Maguire's being picked for this squad. That makes sense. But if he continues to be on the outside looking in at United, then if you look at, I think it's October, isn't it? End of October is the next international break. That's another six weeks where Maguire hasn't had any regular football and he's coming in cold and he's not match fit. He's not match sharp. Where, where would you fall on that? What, what, what's what's right for Gareth Southgate to do there as regards to one of his best players, has to be said? Well, sorry for any background noises at the moment, but... Um, no, it's not. No. There's players, for me, it sounds stupid, but it's like you said, certain players that play for their club that don't do well, and then there's certain players when they play for their international club. For me, you can't complain about them. Yeah, players yeah. like Calvin Phillips, Maguire, are two players that stand out. When they play for England, they do a proper job. And not many people complain about it. as much as when you can highlight how bad they are for the actual clubs and you know they don't participate properly or they make a mistake. But some players just love playing for their country and you can't fault it sometimes. And I feel like he gets a really bad um, narrative over his head. Oh, he's this, he's that, plus the price tag. But I can see why Tarki doesn't, well, believes that he has to take these plays every time. Because let's be honest, when have they really let him down? Mm. When you think about it. And there are players, when you look at like Sterling, for example, why is he not in the squad? Or, you know, other players... And sometimes you just have to take it with a pinch of salt and believe sometimes, well, I don't believe Southgate's the one personally to take us to that next step because there's been certain times where he's had chances to win us these trophies. And mm. when it's come to the tactical decisions, that's where he's at fault. Yeah. And I think he's got the squad to actually win everything. But yeah, I think that's where Southgate goes wrong. And then, because personally, we've got a very solid defence, you see. And the thing is, if Maguire is starting most times, it goes to showing it that he's doing something correct. Absolutely. And like I say, he's, he's a totem in there. He's, he's a leader in there. Um, you know, he, he organises the back line um, and he does it well, it has to be said. Um, you mentioned there the, the kind of players that Southgate's got, the squad he's got. And um, George, I want to kind of look at the, the potential lineup in a minute. But before we do, there's a possibility, it's never going to happen under Southgate, but there's a possibility of having a midfield three for England of Bellingham, Rice and Foden. What a midfield that would be. I mean, yeah. for starters, would you go along with that, that you just can't envisage Southgate ever going with that midfield three? I, I, I can see him playing it in a friendly or a game against a team he deems as like a, a, a game they should be winning. But yeah. I can't see him playing that positively in, say, a um, Euros quarterfinal or um, semi-final or, you know, a game that properly, properly matters, even though that, that midfield, I think, has a nice amount of balance. Yes. I think, yeah. it, I think you know, you've got Rice and Bellingham, when he drops deep, you know, can be very good in the defensive side of the game. Then also going forward, Foden obviously will lead the charge there and Bellingham's proven at Real Madrid that he can be relied on in the final third as a main man as well so I think it's 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 the best midfield three England have and it would be a real shame if we, if we don't get to see it in, in a proper game you know when something's on the line and and, and getting the, the best out of three of our our best players really 
Well, I mean, he's one of the figures in football who I hate the most, and this goes back a good 20 years, but it almost makes you want Harry Redknapp to step in. Because <laughs> <laughs> he would pick that midfield, at least. Um, so talking of picking the midfield, um, Daz, what do you think the lineup will be? I mean, Pickford, I, I guess, is a given in, in, in nets. Um, there's an interesting one at right-back, Trippier or Walker. Who do you think Southgate will go for? I think Southgate's going to go Walker, I think. But first, I think he'll pick his strongest starting eleven, mm. whichever he believes that is. But I don't think we're going to see Bellingham folding Declan Rice as a free. But, um, is, that, is that, you don't think you'll see it under Southgate's... Under Southgate, yeah. one, but even if he was to play it, I just can't see how he knows how to use it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because when you got a midfield of that calibre, that is Champions League level, let's be honest. And you're... Let's be honest, that could be a City midfield. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were Pellingham and Rice with two midfield options and Folding can potentially be the eight. So, again, yeah, I think he'll probably play a strongest squad. I think um, Kane will play. I think Rashford's going to play. I think Grealish probably will be on the... Well, I don't think Grealish is available. No, he's dropped out now, Grealish, yeah. Because I mean, he's only a yeah. slight hamstring, apparently, but you know, just to be better safe than sorry. If, if anything, I think it, it might be... Folding on the right, um, Calvin Phillips, Rice, Bellingham as midfield free. And he'd like to do Rice and um, Phillips as the pivot, and then yeah. Bellingham more advanced. So I think we'll see more of that. And then obviously, your typical Maguire at the back with uh, Chilwell. Yeah, Chilwell on the left, yeah. 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 Um, I think it's just more what we normally see, personally. Yeah, no, I'm inclined to agree. It's. Um... James Madison's an interesting one. Uh, he could start Madison, you know. I mean, he's he started the season so well at Spurs. He started in two of the four Euro qualifiers so far for England and done really well in one of them. So, I, I don't know. I, I think an outside shout there is Madison uh, in terms of, you know, when you look at the team sheet and go, oh, I think it, that O could be for, for Madison. But we'll wait and see. We'll find out on Saturday. Um, let's go back to Bellingham. Um, George... He started his journey with Real Madrid, as you say, in spectacular fashion. He scored five in four. Um, his stats, actually, in La Liga, right across the board since he's moved there, he's basically statistically the best performing player in La Liga. How good is he right now? How good can he be? He's sensational right now, and he's kind of living out every every kid who's into footy's fantasy, isn't he, really? Uh, you know, growing up and then... Everybody's watched the film Goal, you know, moving over to Real Madrid <laughs> and uh, being the main man and having, you know, people singing his name. He's got, you know, I've just seen that Carlos Alcaraz, the um, the tennis player, the Wimbledon uh, champion, yes. is doing is doing yeah. Bellingham celebration whilst you know partaking in the U.S. Open, you know, which is a shit celebration to be fair. It's just putting yeah. his arms out. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not the best, but uh, you know, players these days they like to have one thing that they're they're known for, kind of almost like a trademark, and then. Um, so you know his his um, his football ability and also his profile has, ri- has risen already in the space of a few months of being at Real Madrid. So I think he's he's kind of proving right now that he made the right decision for him as a player uh, in his journey to go to Madrid. As much as we all wanted him at City and other fans wanted him at their clubs, but. Um, the, the main thing that impresses me when I watch him now, and the, the, I've seen a few of the highlights of the Madrid games, I can't say I've w- watched them all in depth, but is um, he just doesn't look like a, a young player. He looks like mm. a, like he's been playing the game for 10 years. 
and a lot of leadership skills he has as well. Yeah, yeah. for sure. He he's not afraid to to turn round and shout at you know players who've who've maybe got a hundred international caps and four Champions Leagues in their um in the in their trophy cabinet. You know he's not afraid to do any of that, and he he can cover the defensive side of the game. He's proved he's great going forward, and he's just he's just so dynamic right now. And I think in, if he can just um, keep clear of these injuries, you know that was yeah. his knee at, yeah. at the end of the season last year of Dortmund. I think the only problem when you have a young player playing so much football is we've seen in the past if you start your career early and you play a lot of games early on your career may not have the longevity of somebody who's kind of been eased into men's football. So that's the only thing I'd worry about with him, really, because I think the sky's the limit in terms of what he can achieve as a footballer. It's one of the very few things that David Moyes has got right in his life with uh, his treatment of... um treatment the, the way he handled Wayne Rooney early on at Everton and I think we we, we all saw that you know Rooney was kind of he, he carried on till he was in his mid-30s wasn't he and still doing it I know he was in the MLS at the time but still um he had the you know, longevity that you mentioned there um and you know sadly we've all seen players who have gone the other way and, and just burnt out at the age of 27 um yeah I think injuries are the, the, the big concern for Bellingham if he can go through his career with avoiding any serious injuries then my god i mean i'm welsh i'm i'm looking at this guy and i'm thinking you lucky lucky bastards <laughs> to have a player like him what a phenomenal talent he is just a quick one on bellingham as well i think he's very blunt in his interviews and says yes. straight to the point and it gives me kevin de bruyne vibes yes he does and it, he, yeah. it really does like no bullshitting with bellingham at the moment he's just like right yeah we were shit yeah. move forward you know what I mean there's nothing like to overshadow it or say oh no this could have happened that could have happened yeah. but I like that about him as well particularly for his age and I know it's it's often mentioned his age but that is the, the surprising aspect his leadership and his forthrightness in interviews as well it is for someone of his age that is quite astounding uh, I'm just going to stay with you Daz in fact I'll come to both of you after this but I'll start with you Daz your Made England manager tomorrow Southgate's out on his ear who is the first player you'll drop in from the next squad? The first player I would drop is quite surprising, Ramsdale. Really? Why? Yeah. I just don't think he's good. I don't rate him. <laughs> just think he gets overhyped. I don't see how... Well, there's a reason why Arteta brought in, um, is it Ray from Brentford? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like and you can see some of the mistakes he's made. You can, I don't think he's good enough for Arsenal. I think he's took Arsenal to a step, but now Arsenal, if they keep playing him, I think they'll go backwards. For me, I don't think he's good enough for England either. Um, if I was to add another player, I think Jordan Henderson. Mm. I think when you have players that go now, like to Dubai, for instance, will they have the same hunger for international? Possibly, but again. We want to move away from them type of players and move into better footballing standards. But yeah, if I was to pick one, I'd highly say uh, Ramsdale all day for me. I I would really, really enjoy calling Jordan Henderson to my office to say you're not playing Finland again. I would <laughs> I would save that. I would I don't even drink coffee, but I would make a cup of coffee for that moment, a really nice cup of coffee, and I would just savour it. And I'd hear his footsteps walking down the corridor, and I'd be rubbing my little hands together. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Uh, George, which player would you dump? 
I mean, Harry Maguire is too obvious, I think. I know he, at the moment, you know, he's maybe necessary because of the Stones injury and the mm. fact the rest, the rest of the centre-backs don't have many caps between them. So I, I'm going to probably go with somebody like Callum Wilson, I think. Um, good player, good goal scorer, but what what is he... What is he going to be bringing to England in the future? Is he ever going to start if Kane's fit? No, he's, he, he's he's not. Kane will start every game if he's fit for England. We've seen that with Southgate. So it's better having somebody like Nketiah backing him up um, like he is in the squad. So that's good to maybe get some minutes coming on a sub, some experience. Mm. Um, and also Conor Gallagher, I just I look at him and, <laughs> Divisive, and I go, yeah. Yeah. I go it. I get, I get his his worth. He works hard. He's 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 like um he to me you know he's like a young a young um, Henderson in terms of some of his attributes. That is bad um, on that. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like a young Henderson. So I get his attributes, but does he really have that that level of class? And I, yeah, I feel I feel sorry for maybe the likes of James Ward Prowse, who's been snubbed as a result when you know he's had a great start to the season, James Ward Prowse and. And also with the likes of Wilson getting in, he's not really played for Newcastle. He has scored, but he's come off the bench. And you, you're looking at Jared Bowen, another player who's um, who's who started really well. And yeah, just just players where I look at and you go, what are you going to bring to this team in, mm. in the Euros next year? And would we get better value bringing like players who are performing better, or maybe some younger players as well? And um, we yet to see what happens with the likes of um, Ivan Tony, who I love, and in January if he's going to come back into the England fold. Um, I'm not too sure. He was obviously very upset about missing out on the World Cup um, because of his um, because of that impending uh, ban that was coming for the betting. But yeah, those are probably the players that I'd go for right now. Well, he had a tenner, didn't he? But he was gutted. I think if you came in now. I mean, there's rumours that Southgate's going after the Euros, and and but if something happened right now and Southgate went, and whoever came in, they could say, well, we've got an under twenty one Euro winners squad here. You know, this is time for a, a new era and a new leaf. So I think if you are to kind of let people like Jordan Henderson go, you've got that great excuse in interviews if asked about it and saying, well, you know, we've just won the Euros at under twenty one level. I want to start bringing the kids through, and and no one could complain about that. So. Yeah, but as it is, it's going to be Southgate for another year, I should imagine. Um, Okay, let's end today by kind of looking at, like an overview, really, of City to this point, because they're punctuation marks, aren't they, the international breaks, and they're a chance to kind of just kind of step back and go, okay, where are we? what we're doing well and what we're not doing well. Um, it's fair to say overall we're doing well because, you know, we're top of the league and we've won four from four. Daz, which players have particularly impressed you at this early early juncture? All day, Mateo Kovacic, all day. Yes, I think yeah. He just slots in perfectly. He offers something different. He's delicate with the ball. He just knows to. he can even play the pockets. One thing I've noticed, he's got quite a lot of pace. So when he runs with the ball, he can go past players, glide past him. Um, I'm quite, another one I'm actually happy with is Haaland because obviously now we've seen that there's no Kevin De Bruyne for five months. Mm. And I feel like, I think he knows himself that as long as, you know, we just find him, even the little chances he gets, he takes them. And I've been really impressed with the fact that, you know, one, he's been getting the goals, but two, his work rate's really good. As much as he's complaining, he's putting in a shift for the team. And yeah, them two in particular, 
really stand out for me, I think, out of the rest. And obviously, Foden, I think this is a season where he has to take it from Kev and say, right, Kev, you've done this for me. Now it's my turn to return a favour. And he, I think them three in particular are the ones I think will have the biggest seasons for us. George, is there any to add to that or is that kind of, do you feel much the same way? Yeah, yeah. That's summed up a lot of a lot of what I was thinking there, particularly Kovacic and Foden. I think those two um, have been imperious in the first four games. Kovacic just looks like he's been playing for City <laughs> yes. for, for about four or five years. It's crazy. He's just... We all, I think anybody who, who's into football always thought that he would be a great player under Pep, but you never know if that's going to translate um, um, from, you know, as an idea to on the pitch. And, and it really has. He, he's been superb. And then, and then Foden, you know, he's, he, without De Bruyne in the side, you need someone like him who's that directness, that unpredictability, um, creator and goal scorer in the middle of the park who, who's going to really set the tempo and, and, you know, get everybody else around them ticking. I think the game he didn't play against, um, he didn't start rather against Sheffield United when he was after his illness. Um, we in that game we weren't looking as as if we really, really were going to break them down. We were struggling even with all the great players we had on the pitch. Nobody was finding Haaland and all this kind of stuff. And then he comes on. I think in the 84th minute or something daft and gets an assist and is at the heart of pretty much everything we're doing and <laughs> he's he's yeah I hope I hope he's going to continue that throughout the season and really really get to the levels we all know he can do and then I'd probably add to a player I've been impressed with even though he's probably been a bit divisive so far in terms of this with the City fan base is Alvarez I think it's not easy what he's been asked to do yeah you know he, yeah. he's a he's a he's a young young player still and he's used to playing his whole career in the front line. And since coming to City, he's been asked to drop a bit deeper, centre mid almost, and asked to do a range of things he probably hasn't been asked to do in a large chunk of his career. And he does give the ball away sometimes, and his short passing can be frustrating when you're used to having somebody like De Bruyne in that, in that place who's pretty clinical. But I think Alvarez, his graft, is superb and also he's usually at the heart of what we're doing when it's positive he's always in and in around it when we're scoring he's either getting the goals or the assist or the pre-assists and all that kind of stuff he's always involved and he's always grafting and and I think we we need to remind ourselves of that when we're probably looking at him a bit harshly and comparing him to maybe Kevin De Bruyne he's not De Bruyne he's a totally different player and he's going to do totally different things um, and we may lose a bit in terms of the passing side of the game, but in terms of goals and getting into the box, I think we we gain something with him in that position. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'll go along with that. I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Nunes and seeing what he can bring uh, in, in terms of kind of mid- midfield creativity, uh, and that will hopefully take some of the obligation some of the kind of you know uh pressure i guess of, of alvarez in that regard um but yeah he as you said at the top he has he does divide city fans at the moment um but you know the positives far out with the negatives with him surely and uh, just one quick thing on sheffield united v city uh, something i found out um just prior to the fulham game it, it, it kind of really surprised me so city put together 23 shots that afternoon before sheffield united got a shot off and that is a record that goes, Premier League record that goes back to 2007. And what struck me, 
and I don't know if you two, it was the same with you two, it didn't feel like that kind of game. <laughs> I mean, obviously no, City, we boss possession, I know, of course, but if someone had said to me, you've just beaten a Premier League record for the most consecutive amount of shots without the opposition getting one back, no, it just didn't feel like that kind of game. Anyway, it, just thought I'd mention that. It just kind of really surprised me when I found that out. Um, Daz, there's far more positives than negatives. For Alvarez, there's far more positives than negatives for City. But, of course, we have to kind of balance it out and, and see if there's any negatives to, to to acknowledge, I guess. Is there any that concern you right now? Do you have any worries about City from what you've seen so far? It's only one thing that really concerns me. It's not even the chances or whatever, because they always come. Mm. It's the concentration levels after we score. Right. It's really, it's really bad that I find that we get a goal and next thing you know, Sheffield United were already having a chance to score. Next thing you know, Fulham already scored. I went to the game. I sat there on my phone. I literally looked up next thing you know, Fulham scored. I thought, bloody hell, what's going on here? But I realised this is a thing where we keep forgetting Pepe on that um, sideline. So I don't know if it's a thing of where when you yeah. have Pep there, the key, he instantly installs it into him. Obviously, I don't know if you notice, every time we score, Pep always pulls two, three players to the sideline, do this, do that, do that. Mm. This is what uh, we need to expect from you right now. And obviously, it's like there's no structure as soon as we score. And that's the only thing that pops into my mind. Because overall, we're four out of four wins. And I, I think last season we drawn to Newcastle. Hmm. So I think we were three out of four. And the season before that, I don't think, I don't know if we were four out of four either. No, we lost to Spurs, didn't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, so just keep, keep the tempos good straight after we score because for some reason we like to drop it. And yeah. I never understand why that's always happening. Well, mentioned the previous seasons, um, that just feeds directly to what I was, I was going to say because I think it was Kyle Walker and one of you two can, can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Walker basically challenged the, the, the team this season. Yeah to just start really well and say, right, let's just basically do like we did in 2017-18 and, you know, drive it home right from the off. Let's not play catch-up this year as we've had to do in recent seasons. Um, George, I'll, I'll come to you for this. I mean, this potentially is a silly question because every team is trying to have a good start and you can't purposely have a good start, you know? Um, and yet it does feel like it's almost like... Um, I don't know, like it's their objective this season, um, based on what Walker said, to, to really, you know, fly out the blocks this year, build up a healthy lead over over your arsenals uh, and do it different this year. Can can that be done purposefully? Or, am I, like I say, every club would want that, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think the team have, have got to find ways of motiv- motivating themselves outside yes. yeah. outside of a rival as well. You know, um, you can't... If you if you always waiting to be pushed by an Arsenal or a Liverpool, um, there will come a day where you trip up and mm. they'll get past you. And so I think the players looking... Maybe Walker talking to the players about that Centurions year, 17-18... It'll probably inspire a few of the players who weren't in the squ- who weren't at the club then, or weren't starting um, many games at that point, and thinking if you can do this, not only will you be treble winners last year, you know, you'll you'll be centurions, and if they're going against a, a former version of, of themselves, I think that's great motivation because 
if you if they can get out the blocks early in the league and really really set a lead it allows it allows them to um focus on the other cups as well and mm. not worry about everything game to game you can rotate the squad a bit more and i think having you having yourself as motivation is 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 a great thing and and I, and i would also love for us to breeze it this year after how you know obviously last year one of the best years of my life is just amazing and but the stress levels of going to those games <laughs> from the months of like march to may i don't think i think it aged me about 10 years so it would be lovely it's a very greedy thing to ask in football and nothing's ever that easy but it would be lovely to have a centurions uh, season and uh and win it a fair few weeks before the end my only concern with that, I mean, it is a bit too early in the season for this to happen. I think it's early March, but we're playing United at home. And if history does repeat itself and then we just go flying out of the blocks and there's a chance of us winning the title against United and blow it, Howard will not be able to take that. <laughs> if, it happens, yeah, that. if it happens again, I mean, it's bad enough the first time. It still hurts him to this day. I can't, but, yeah. Here's, here's a question, though, if you if you... If you were offered that now, but you you lose that same game in the, in the same style, but you'll get it, or or you can just have no guarantees and let the season play out as is. I mean, the thing is, I, I've said on the pod before, I'm very much in, my, in the minority on this, I accept, but that defeat didn't bother me because, of course it did, but not overly so, because when we were coming out of the ground... United were ecstatic. I mean, absolutely. It was the highlight of their year. And I was... It shows how massive we are, Steve. That's what it shows me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just thought, oh my God, because I just remember a lifetime of growing up where beating United was everything. You go into a season, it's like, when are we playing United? Right, okay. And then, you know, you beat them 5-1 in 1989 and it's, it's a lifetime's highlight. And this was a lifetime's highlight for them. <laughs> To beat us at the Etihad, and it, I don't know, it should have already dawned on me, possibly years and years earlier, but that was the moment walking out of the Etihad that afternoon where it's like, oh crap, we are huge now and they are nothing. And it just, I was almost on a high going home, um, but I was on yeah, a, in a minority. It was, I think it was just the, the period as well. It was, it was when we, we lost to Liverpool in the Champions yes. League. It was yeah. in the same couple of weeks, wasn't it? And it was just there. It was, that was just, in in a glorious season, that was probably the, the lowest point of that season. In mm. you know, and that's you know a very privileged thing to say when you've just won the Premier League uh, with a hundred points. But it was you know <laughs> losing to the Scousers in the in the Champions League, and then all losing to United at home when you could have won the league. It it did it did sting me. I don't think I said a word for the rest of that day after I came out. But um, <laughs> but, but but I do I do take your point. You know the way the way that United fans act now in the derbies and it's just crazy to think how this, that shift's happened in the last decade mm, it could be FA Cup final I mean all the interviews from the fans beforehand it's like oh as long as they don't score first <laughs> which of course yeah. is funny in itself but yeah they, they were terrified of us they, they were terrified of a battering um, which is just oh it's glorious isn't it um, okay let's end today by kind of looking outwards uh, elsewhere at the Premier League. Um, Daz, I know we're only four games in and it's not a fair metric, I know that, but at this early juncture, which teams are looking good for you and which teams are looking like they may be in, in a bit of trouble? Um, to challenge us, I'll say Arsenal, but even then I think they're not what they were last season. Mm. I think they've been struggling with the games what I've been watching. 
that I think they're very lucky to get these eight minutes plus stoppage time at the Emirates. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one thing I've noticed. Um, I think Liverpool might be the team here and there. You know, they look quite good. Mm. I'm not concerned about United, Chelsea. Um, Spurs looking all right, but I don't think it'll be a challenge. I don't think they've got enough firepower up top. But realistically, I think City should be comfortable. If anything, when you're talking about Kyle Walker, if I'm Kyle Walker, I'll say to lads, let's go for the treble again. What, mm. what is stopping us? When you, mm. We've got the squad and we've got the best manager in the world for me. So even Guardiola, I think he would thrive if he was to just say to him, right, what is stopping us from winning this treble again? And realistically, because again, main thing is we keep winning games and as long as we go into February with everyone okay and the biggest thing that we forget Kevin De Bruyne comes back then yes yeah and that is a big big factor and plus we've got the January transfer market which I reckon they, they might think shall we just get one more player because it does depend on where we are about in the league and obviously cup competitions but plus we've got a very little um, group stage I think we should walk that. Yeah, and yeah, that's fair. I think, yeah, I think if anything, it's going well for us as long as we just you know take each game going by. I think we should be fine personally. Was it Phil Foden who said recently that he was talking to Haaland after the Champions League final and said, "Well, where where do we go from here?" and and they both said, yeah. well, "We'll just do it again." <laughs> yeah. I love that. That, that. That's the mindset you should have a winner's mentality. And the thing is, I'm sorry, but who gets bored of winning? Because mm. when you go Barcelona and Madrid. That is the pinnacle, like, you know, for majority of the past years. And look, Madrid won like, what, four Champions Leagues in the past five years, was it? Mm. When um, Ronaldo, when Bale joined, sorry, to 2019, I believe. They just never got bored of it, did they? Like, they just kept going, kept going, kept going. And that is what I want the City players to have. I want them to install that mentality, like, you won it, let's go again. Let's go again. Let's go again. Love it. Um George, just to kind of end on the clubs in trouble, um, well, I guess United's an obvious one. Newcastle are avoiding a lot of kind of, you know, like every every season, a few weeks in, one club's picked out as the team in crisis and they're the one who basically, you know, fills the back pages and all the rest of it, showing the manager kind of, you know, biting his nails, etc. Newcastle have kind of avoided that. I mean, they've won only one in four. Yeah, they... Um especially after that, I think the opening day victory over Villa has has bought them a lot of goodwill from their their fan base and also the the football media because yeah. you know everybody was everybody was banking on Villa as be and Emery to really really be a thorn in in everybody's side this season and and kick on from their Europa Conference League finish to maybe Europa League finish and then when Newcastle just dispatched them like that it, we were thinking our oh, Newcastle are going to be a proper contender but then since then you know lost to City 1-0, lost to Liverpool when they really should have beat them 2-1. Yeah. And then they got they got dispatched by Brighton. I, I watched that game after the um after the City match walked into into town and and uh, watched it and I was so impressed by Brighton and that and Newcastle just never got going and never looked like they could match Brighton's energy levels or ruthlessness or or the physicality. So I think Newcastle will 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 start to worry especially when that Champions League starts because they've got um they've got a pretty pretty tough group in AC Milan Dortmund <laughs> and PSG um you know they're going to have to be going against Kylian Mbappe soon which is no joke um 
I so, can't wait for that Mbappe versus Don Bird. I really yeah, looking forward yeah. to that. Yeah. It's um it's it's got Dan Bird red red card after twenty minutes all over. Yeah. Um <laughs> but yeah, I think Newcastle really need to decide what team they're going to be this season and are they going to try and compete on all fronts and stretch that squad thin because it's not a massive squad in terms of quality wise or are they going to concentrate on just getting back in that top four just concentrate the league enjoy the Champions League nights what they are and the cup things and and just go for league it's yet to be seen really so I think Newcastle will need to worry and then 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 it's just the, the newly promoted teams I worry about as well Burnley Luton, Sheffield United, we've not seen anything from those teams yet to suggest they're good enough to stay up. Mm. Obviously, we've, we're all backing Burnley out of them because of Vinny and um, to do well. I, I want him to do well because, you know, the place he holds in everyone's hearts is massive, but they're not looking like they're, they're going to have that quality yet. Um, Luton, again, you just don't see where, that, where those points are coming from. Sheffield United... They've got that grit, probably more than Luton and Burnley, but, and they've just, you know, Cameron Archer, I think, is a good signing for them. Got a couple of goals against Everton. One, albeit helped massively by Pickford. <laughs> um, but, so they've got some goals now, which all, all, all teams in relegation scrap need. But, yeah, those, those promoted, newly promoted sides, I, I do worry that all three could, could easily go down and it, it wouldn't be much of a shock. But it's still early days and that's the good thing. They've got time now to regroup into the international break and, and start the season again because three games doesn't, three, four games doesn't, um, doesn't, you know, define your season. Yeah. Yeah. I think Burnley at the moment look like they're in real peril, but I mean, the way they're conceding goals and the space they're conceding as well ahead of their front, uh, back four is deeply concerning. But, they are the one who, if they do kind of, if it all clicks, they're the one who really capable of pushing on and kind of, you know, getting ended mid table even. Um, whereas I don't think their quality is at all there from Sheffield United or, or Lewin. And Lewin, uh, you know, it's just not going to happen for them. Every, I've seen them quite a fair bit actually this season and they're just, they're miles off it in terms of quality. Um, so I think they're going straight back down. Lads, that was really enjoyable. Um, First of all, thank you very much, George, for coming on. Appreciate it, mate. No problem, Steve. Cheers for having me. Dad, I've saved you to last because I just want to say what a debut, sir. That was, um, <laughs> yeah, so that was superb stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for letting me come on. And thanks everyone for listening in. At a wrap for today, folks, we're off to try and get excited by Cyprus v Scotland this evening. It's just not the same, is it? In the meantime, take care, everyone. Be well and forever up the blues. <laughs>